To The Point, the negotiation podcast with Kel Jensen and Tim Cummings. Hello and welcome to the next in our exciting series of To The Point. Today's point is to cover the top 10 things that make a negotiator great. Well, who better to answer that question than Cal Jensen? Cal, what's the first point we need to make today? Hi, Tim. Great to be back. Well, um, the list is long, but we have identified 10 things that definitely identify the great negotiator. And I, I feel like we keep coming back to this first one all the time, regardless of what we're talking about, because the first one is preparation. Um, but it goes without any doubt that preparation is key. And I normally use the phrase that not preparing is the same as, as preparing for a complete failure. And that certainly goes for negotiations as well. And I have to say that I have the pleasure of working with hundreds and perhaps even thousands of people every year, uh, all professionals. They're all very skilled, all uh, very well educated. And quite often, Tim, I find that they're not well prepared. And it's really not because they don't have the time. It's not even because they don't want to prepare, but simply it's because they don't know exactly what to prepare. So quite often, Tim, unfortunately, they just try and wing it because, you know, I have 23 years of experience, so uh, I can just base my preparation of that. But that doesn't really work. So I would say, especially in these days with chat TVT, uh, there's no excuse because if you don't know what to prepare, at least you can do, uh, at least the things you can do is go to ChatTBT and just ask ChatTBT. Um, I'm getting into this negotiation, negotiating this stuff in this time period with this price, with this counterpart, what should I prepare? And then ChatTBT will, in most cases, actually deliver a pretty good list of things that you should actually sit down and look at. And if you don't want to do that and you want to have some kind of source that is um, credible. I'm not saying ChatGPT is not credible, but looking at some source that is credible, well, there's a bunch of uh, books out there that are really good and can cover you on preparation as well. So anyway, number one uh, on this list of things that makes a negotiator great is without any doubt preparation. Wouldn't you agree, Tim? I really would. And I think it leads, of course, very naturally to our second item, which is the development of a strategy. Now, of course, if you've not really prepared anything, then it's pretty difficult to develop a coherent strategy as to what you're going to do with the information you don't have. Yeah. Um, so um, that that question, though, of strategy, it's again one of those critical scene setters and you know we know full well that actually if you don't have a coherent strategy your negotiation cycle time is going to be considerably longer so strategy sometimes feels like it's a bit of a luxury and oh, we haven't got time for that but actually it is ultimately a time saver now what is strategy about here well of course it's in part understanding who the counterpart is and setting a strategy associated with, you know, are there a win-win or a win-lose type negotiator? How are we going to deal with that? Partly, of course, and critically, it's a, a strategy to say, if this is the outcome we want to achieve, what is the form of relationship, agreement, uh, governance standard that we need to put in place? So it, it's really having thought through those fundamentals that give you confidence in what it is you're trying to achieve, and of course, how you think you're going to achieve it. Absolutely, Tim, I completely agree. 
Now, uh, Tim, you have an amazing Korean background experience as well. And I don't know whether you agree with me, but I meet quite a lot of organizations, both governmental and private organizations that really don't have a negotiation strategy. You know, when I step in and ask the executive, could I have a look at your negotiation strategy to just go all quiet and look out the window? Is is, is that your experience as well, Tim? Well, I think my experience varies, Carol. I think very often, you know, if you're looking at organizations that perhaps uh, are looking a lot at, um, for example, um, capital projects mm. you know where you're looking at multi-billions of dollars or whatever currency um then certainly strategy becomes a pretty significant element mm. is that strategy always as good as it should be um do, do we engage particularly when it comes to things like the contract is that really introduced and is thought given to the structure the form the type of contract the sort of commercial model is that adequately considered at that front end of strategy? Well, that I often do find is a missing component. Yeah, exactly. The next item we have on the list here is understanding the asymmetric values. And uh, I have to explain that, so I just take one step back. Um, the first thing we need to recognize in any type of negotiation is what variables is negotiable. And a variable is uh, could be anything in terms of payment, delivery time, warehousing, education, you you name it. It's basically everything that we can negotiate and we allow to negotiate. So, so, so something that is controlled by company policy or by law, obviously, is not a variable because we can't negotiate it. Now, when we have listed those variables and we know what is negotiable, then we need to put a value and a cost on those. And the asymmetric value is different, obviously, between your cost and the counterpart's value or the counterpart's cost and your value. If we're able to negotiate in a, in a collaborative way where we are transparent about the cost and the value, we can generate that asymmetric value that I call economics, negotiation economics. And it's a very, very simple model that can really increase and expand the size of the pie that thereby makes the negotiation easier. And we can win more, but not at the expense of the counterpart. And we can even support the counterpart in becoming financially more successful without we paying for it. And and we're bringing this topic in here because quite often organization, one, is not negotiating on enough uh, um, uh, variables, so they haven't actually identified the right amount of variables. And secondly, they may not be able to quantify the variables. And that means, obviously, they're not actually able to identify that asymmetric value. That is absolutely true. I mean, these are, in a sense, perhaps the, the technical backdrop, if you like, to good negotiation. We're going to move now to a somewhat different topic, which is much more around the behavior and characteristics of, of the individual and of the team in many ways. And that is around the topic of empathy. We've mentioned this before, but unless you want to be a very adversarial form of negotiator and potentially finish up with substantial misunderstandings or misalignments, you really do need to have an interest in the counterparty. Um, and you do need to have a, a level of personal empathy towards the other negotiators and negotiation team. I think uh, We've touched on the importance of empathy in some of our past sessions, Kelt, and it, mm -hmm. it is obviously very much about appreciating their position, 
having an interest in what their goals and objectives are, um, understanding their personal aspirations. What does success in this negotiation maybe mean for them personally? Um, how might that be affecting the positions they take or um, whether favourable or unfavourable to you? So empathy is, is ultimately, of course, it is a self-serving action activity as well, because without empathy, the prospects of you reaching a positive conclusion, or indeed potentially of any conclusion at all, are much more limited. Mm. I recall, Tim, that in the negotiation room, we had at one point a professor in gender and gender uh, differences in negotiation. And I believe we even talked about it at the World CC conference, where we, I think it was you who asked the audience, who do you think is the better negotiator? Is it women or men? And as far as I recall, Tim, I think the majority in the room actually said women were better negotiators. And, and I would agree. And one of the many reasons that women, and I'm generalizing, obviously, seems to be um, uh, a, a slightly better in negotiation than men is quite often back to empathy, because women, again, I'm generalizing, have a tendency just to have a little bit um, bigger slice, we could call it, of empathy towards the counterpart. They want to make sure that the counterpart is okay again, uh, where men typically, and I'm generalizing, are a little bit more competitive. So yes, the empathy is is certainly important. It could, of course, be held that uh, you know, men say that women are more empathetic because of the embedded empathy of the male. They recognize <laughs> how important it is to women to be told that. Yes. But um, I suspect you and I both know that. Probably isn't true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. The next one we have on, on the list here is questions and questions techniques. And um, I've often been very envious um, towards uh, journalists because journalists are educated in nothing but asking questions and the right questions. And that's really what negotiators need to do as well. Um, quite often, I find that negotiators have a tendency to argue, you know, we want this because it's a standard in the industry or the contract states that we should do it or everybody else is offering this. But instead of using argumentation, um, we should actually try and replace that with questions. And it's not only questions, but the right questions, obviously. And the right questions is open questions. So what is the cost to you if we change? What would be the value if we offered you? What could you do if we, and so on and so forth. And I mentioned it already once, and ChatGPT can actually help you with that as well. So if you go to ChatGPT, if you can't figure out being creative and creating your own questions, just ask ChatGPT, what kind of open questions should I be asking in tomorrow's negotiation? So question techniques actually separates the great negotiator from the average without any doubt. And I think, you know, the point here is the criticality of that word techniques. Asking questions is easy to do. It can also be incredibly annoying. My grandson is constantly asking me questions and drives me crazy. Yes. Um, and equally, of course, I've operated with negotiators, particularly perhaps in uh, in Asia, where uh, the questioning is, is all one direction. Uh, mm -hmm. There is no information flow from the other side. Um, and they're just constantly trying to suck more and more information out of you, that you know they're then going to be utilising in ways that are not necessarily helpful to you. So I think, as I say, technique is the important point here. When is it appropriate? What types of questions? But also reflecting on our own approach to the counterparty's questions and our readiness to be responsive to their questions. So 
So, well, one of the other big things that makes a negotiator great is, of course, the willingness and ability to assemble the right team. And uh, that can be really tough. You know, very often we may not want somebody who is perhaps, um, you know, competitive with us. We may want to be the big person in the room. Um, and we may feel that we want others who are very clearly subordinate to us. Um Obviously, we do need to give active thought to who are the right people. And much of that is also understanding the counterparty. Who are the people they're bringing into the room? What are the skills, qualifications they have? How do we make sure there's a, a match for them? Um, or indeed, if we deliberately decide we don't want one, why? Um, bringing the right team can be particularly difficult because often many of us are under cost control which may lead us, of course, to needing to think about how we um, introduce that team, uh, the methodology we use. Um, we have today the, the beauty, obviously, of much more diverse communication methodologies. So bringing the right team doesn't necessarily mean eight people have to travel somewhere. It may mean that you've got two people, but you've got six on standby. And at appropriate moments, you can perhaps switch into uh, a remote mode whereby you can be more inclusive. So I think today we've got no good excuse for not having the right people either directly in the room or virtually in the room. Absolutely. Uh, I completely agree. And what I quite often see, unfortunately, is that negotiations are being won or lost based on the team itself. Because some people, as you pointed out, Tim, really are uncomfortable working in a team, whether it's because of prestige or whatever it is, they actually prefer to negotiate on their own. Um, so I've seen during my career, people be negotiating for lots and lots and lots of money, very high value um, negotiations where they've basically been trying to wing it themselves. And to be quite honest, it is impossible. None of us can actually sit in anything that becomes more um, detailed and, and more complicated and handle that ourselves. We need somebody on the team. Um, so th this part is, is, is really important. The next one is uh, listing variables. And I already mentioned that one when we are talking about understanding asymmetric values. So we need to list, we need to be creative in identifying variables. I was sitting with a client just the other week and it was a client in the construction industry. And they were typically working with six, seven, eight variables when they were doing commercial negotiation with their suppliers and their clients. And we started a workshop just to identify and create a brainstorming to figure out what variables do we really have? And I have to, um, I really have to promote this client and 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 praise them because they were very good. It took us less than a day. Then they had created 150 variables. I repeat, 150 variables. Now, not all of them were relevant in all negotiations, but at least um, 60 to 70 of these variables were, were relevant in every single negotiation. And and each of these additional variables, besides the six, seven, eight they had usually negotiated, created value. Uh, either for the counterpart or for ourselves. So I can only promote one thing, and that is creativity. Uh, I always say that you should sit down, really try and think out of the box. What are the traditional variables you negotiate in your company, in your industry? And then I can promise you that is not enough. There's a lot more out there. So um, keep looking for additional variables. It will only improve the possibility of not only reaching an agreement, but a successful agreement.
One of the critical points as we undertake preparation and as we develop strategy is understanding culture. The culture of the industry, the culture of the particular organization we're dealing with, but also the culture, of course, of the personalities we're dealing with. I was probably very fortunate, Kel, much of my early negotiation experience, and you know, like so many, I stumbled into negotiation. It wasn't that I'd ever sort of particularly set out to be a negotiator, but um, much of that early negotiation was actually cross-cultural. I was uh, in, in the automotive industry and then in the aerospace industry, where much of the sales activity that uh, I was supporting was undertaken in uh, foreign parts. Um, now, I remember particularly to give an example here, um, one of my very earliest negotiations, I was uh, sent to negotiate uh, the sale of engines in Morocco. And uh, the counterparty, even though they did speak relatively good English, insisted on the negotiation taking place in French. And even though the negotiation was taking place in French, which they clearly said they required because they wanted the advantage of language but actually they frequently broke off and started speaking arabic at which point of course we were completely lost um equally you know the the negotiation progressed um but it was a very adversarial negotiation it was just constantly pushing back on price 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 to a point where we eventually stood up walked away and said you know, I'm sorry, but we cannot go further, we're leaving. And we got back to the office, and this was the day before the internet, surprisingly enough. Um, and uh, actually, when we got into the office the next morning, there was a fax waiting for us saying, we accept. Mm. So there was a situation of a culture which only believed that you had reached the bottom line when you walked away. Right. <laughs> and, you know, what a tremendous learning experience. We really do need to understand cultural norms, cultural variations. And, of course, there are some fantastic books on Gil Hofstadter particularly, which helps us to understand a lot of those intercultural norms and should be a mandatory reading for any negotiator, particularly in today's multicultural societies. Absolutely. I was actually sitting waiting for you walking into a closet again, Tim, but that was that was another negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> no, this time I just walked into the desert. <laughs> The second to last item I got out here is a crucial one as well. And that goes for all of us, including myself. We are not, and I'm generalizing, very good at listening. We have a tendency to appreciate just listening to our own voice and just talking. And I had a chairman for many years when I was um, an, an, an executive in the technology business who kept t telling me that I had two ears and one mouth. And I just kept talking because I didn't really know what he meant. So he repeated it over and over again until one day I realized I should probably shut up. And, and what I'm saying here is really, it's very, very important for us to, to really listen. And by listening, I'm also talking about active listening. So back to the questioning part that we ask questions as well. But we don't really make progress by talking, back to the argumentation point as well. So please, please, please ask questions and listen. And sometimes you have to listen in between the lines. So I often use the quote that 
replace the word um, uh, actually replace the word from the from the negotiator with the sound of a cash register. And what I mean by that is, when a, a negotiator brings up a topic, ask a question, or argue about something, there is an interest, there's a value behind it. So you shouldn't start counter arguing, not really listening to what they're saying, but instead respond by a question. So the listening skills and being able to listen and just shut up is crucial for the great negotiator. And I think we've finished pretty much again where we started with this issue of um, strategy particularly. And one of the components of strategy is structure. We've talked about structure from the point of view of things like making sure you've got the right team. But I think here we're talking more about the idea of structure in terms of what's the flow? What's the sequence of negotiation? What is logical? Are we, for example, as many do, are we going to have several teams working in parallel, frequently on complex outsourcing agreements, for example, you'll have multiple teams tackling different components. There's a real risk in that, because back to your point about asymmetric values and uh, and, and listing and monetizing variables, it's very difficult to subdivide the negotiation and say, oh, well, we've got one team talking about legal terms and risk, we've got another team that's talking about pricing, we've got another one that perhaps is off there talking about ongoing support and sustainable sustainability. Um, these are potential offset areas, and it's really difficult to handle them in isolation. Yet often, because of the complexity of the overall deal, it's necessary to have those different specialists. So there you would be wanting to think about what is the structure from the point of view of the different teams? How do we do that breakdown of the componentry? But importantly, then how do we bring it all together again? How do we make sure that we haven't missed opportunities that in having that separation of conversation? Now, even on smaller deals, that tends to happen because we set a sequence for what we're going to talk about this morning at liabilities. Tomorrow afternoon, it's, it's indemnities. Yet very often, we've in fact already talked about things like price as if they are going to be unaffected by issues of risk allocation. So thoughtfulness around what is in fact the structure that's going to lead to well, depending on what you see benefit as being. But if you're trying to make it one-sided, you need a structure of, I suppose, a particular type. If you're really trying to achieve mutual benefit and um, maximum value, you're going to have a structure of another type, which is why all of this ties back so closely to strategy. So the top 10 things we talked about today, Tim, uh, to make a negotiator great was preparation, the strategy, understanding asymmetric values, empathy, questioning techniques, uh, creating the right team, listening and monetizing variables, understanding the culture, uh, being a great listener, and last but not least, structure. I'm sure that our listeners could add a lot of other stuff to 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 this list, and I'm not saying this list is is it, it has exhausted everything that is required for a great negotiator, but at least it's a very good beginning that I would actually strongly advise every negotiator to start looking at before they step into any negotiation. I think that's absolutely right, Gerald. And of course, if you went through this list, then at least you've done it with number one, you are prepared. 
So, Kel, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and coming together for this. I hope our listeners find it useful. We would, of course, love to hear any feedback or ideas you've got, particularly if you disagree with us. So with that, we will bring this particular episode to a close and we will be back with you soon with another To The Point. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, everybody. To The Point. The Negotiation Podcast with Kel Jensen and Tim Cummings.